Welcome to the 30 to Life podcast, where we break stereotypes, build legacies, and help others along the way. It's your boy, Mookie. And your favorite color in the world, brown. Thank y'all for coming back for another amazing episode of the 30 to Life podcast, Redefining the Black Experience. This is 2021. 2020 does not count, so we're just going to cross that out, right? Mm-hmm. 2021 is mm-hmm. the, the rise of of our people the rise of uh the black experience uh and we're gonna uh really make sure each episode going forward we helping people rise and help their fellow um individuals so on this episode we're gonna be talking with nikki lynette uh she's a performer visual artist and has done a lot for the mental health community and also has a play that's debuting uh soon so before i actually introduce her i want to just Check in with your favorite color in the world. What's going on, bro? Hey, what's going on? What's going on? So happy to be here. We got some great content for you guys tonight. Um, so we're talking about mental health, but we're, we're, we're bringing it kind of different spin to it. Uh, we're talking about how our diets can kind of affect our mental health. Uh, our guest is is a, is a vegan, and um, she's going to talk about how her vegan diet is, is really beneficial to her lifestyle. Super excited for the content today. And uh, 2021, we have a lot of great episodes for you guys in store. And we're just looking forward to uh, just continuing creating great content. Yeah. And I just want to give all thanks to, to our listeners at 30 to Lifers. Uh, just thank you for supporting us every week. Uh, you have helped us, you know, just grow this podcast substantially over the last eight months. So we appreciate that. But yeah, I want to introduce our guest, uh, Nikki Lynette. As I mentioned, she's a performer, writer, visual artist, uh, a Chicago native, and she is a huge advocate for mental health. And uh, she's been featured on Netflix, Hulu, uh, Showtime, and more as an independent artist. So she has a lot of accolades. Uh, she has a play that she self-created called Get Out Alive. And uh, it's really something that's so different than what's been put out. Uh, she is a great individual, and she's going to continue to really be a mental health activist. So with that, hey, Nikki, thank you for coming on. Thank you all for having me. Yes. Yes, we made it. And uh, yeah, we, we really appreciate you coming on the show. Our show is really dedicated to breaking stereotypes, building like disease and, and helping others along the way. And, and a lot of things that you've done is really just redefine, you know, what the black experience is and, and shattering those stereotypes. So thank you for all you've done. But can you um, really just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and, and really talk about the journey uh, that got you to this point? Uh, yeah, I'm a performing artist, sing, rap, write, produce, draw, paint. I do all of the things. And uh, I wrote a play about my mental health crisis. I'm also a mental health advocate. Um, I call myself a mental health activist, actually. I'm a social impact artist. All of my work is informed by the fact that I live with a mental illness. I have PTSD. And um, yeah, I wrote a play about it. It did really well. And now I'm adapting that play to film. And the film comes out January 30th, 2021. That's um that's quite a feat just expanding upon the play to a to a film. Like was there any major differences that you learned anything in the process? Doing a play and doing a film are two very mm-hmm. different things. And when gotcha. you turn a play into a film, you have to think about two different worlds and how do they come together like in a balanced way because a play is a play theater is theater it's not a tv show and it needs mm. to move like theater it needs to be raw like theater it has to stay true to the thing 
they made it successful as a play, but it has to include and consider the way that we consume content on screens. And so translating it is my work. I'm the artistic director for my, like I have an actual director and choreographer for the plays named Roger Ellis, but I am the artistic director. So the vision of how that gets interpreted is up to me. And Lord, when I tell you, it is work. <laughs> it is work. But I'm really happy with what we've done and where it's going. So I'm excited for people to see it. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sounds exciting. Um, excited to see it as well. So can you tell us a little bit about your, your story that led you up to this point and adversity that you faced along the way and how you overcome it? No worries. To keep it brief, like I had a type of a somewhat rough childhood and in my adulthood, um, some issues that I had suppressed kind of came back up when I went through a toxic relationship. I talk about it in my play, like I go into full detail and um, the loss of a loved one happened. You know, I had a mental break and I became suicidal and the process from breaking down and losing everything to right now. Like I've only been at this process of rebuilding my life for about, like I was, I've been in it for about four years, but I've been actually recovered or recovering for about two, like the last two. So everything that you see in my life that people consider to be like marked as a success happened within the past like two and a half, three years. So I really did rebuild my life from the ground up. I had $55 to my name at the time when I had my mental break. I had nothing. And now I have a high production value film and I have hiring power. Like it happened in such a short amount of time because I hustled and I worked for it. But um, I'm excited about the idea that I can be an example to people that you can lose everything and you can hit rock bottom and bounce back even better than you were before. Agreed. Agreed. And uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, I always use the quote, you know, tough times don't last. Tough people do. And, you know, definitely, you know, your story and, and able to overcome and, and, and such a short time being able to, you know, have many successes and wins is is amazing. So I guess what was the like the inner, I guess, drive or catalyst that 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 was pivotal to change and start building upon the success? I mean, I wish I could say like there was some big aha moment, but for me, it wasn't. It was either change or die. Like I was legit suicidal. Like I wasn't, it's not like the type of suicidal where you just think about dying. Like I made attempts and was found unconscious at one point. So I was, I was supposed to be out of here and it was either, you know, I'm faced with this moment where it's like, I either do it or I make one last chance to get better. It just so happened that my last chance to get better worked. So what did you do specifically during this last go around that made you kind of realize this is what I need to continue to do um, to maintain my sanity? Like was food, like did you realize that food was, or your diet was a stepping stone or was it something else? I mean, it's, kind of like a combination of diet and lifestyle. So like if you're a person who's prone to depression and prone to anxiety, you shouldn't be eating a lot of sugar. 
shouldn't be eating a lot of refined foods because like that kind of stuff can have an impact on how you feel. And when you're depressed though, you don't feel like cooking. You don't feel like eating healthy. Last thing you want in the planet is a salad. You know what I'm saying? Like you ain't really doing Mm. that self-care with your diet, but you know, when you eat salad, when you eat vegetables, you're getting minerals, you're getting the magnesium, you're getting the things that you need in your body that are going to help you be calm. You know, there's a connection between your brain and your gut. So if you're not eating healthy and you have neurons in your gut, of course, it's going to impact your brain. So I had to kind of like, you know, instead of eating too much or not eating enough and going through those extremes, I had to learn what that balance looked like. I also like when I talk to people about it, like I wish I could say like I did this and it worked. Like that's not how it works at all. I did baby steps. I made a whole series of baby steps over a period of two years that ended up paying off for me. And one of those is utilizing my diet and nutrients and minerals to heal my gut because I used to, you know, like when you have anxiety real bad, whew, those adrenaline, no adrenaline rushes and you you know, they go into your belly and you just feel, you know, you get mud, butt, you get indigestion, you don't feel well, you're tired, you have fatigue and eating healthy is not a cure, but it's one of the ways that you can address that. So, right. You know, like that has been very advantageous for me whenever I feel any inkling of not being all right, because I still live with PTSD. I have complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So when I have any inkling of not feeling all right, I buckle down on my diet and it helps bring me back to center. Yeah, you said something so important. You said that you recognize when you're off and sometimes what you're eating can make you go off. And you have to kind of adjust what you're eating. And in my opinion, what I see what you're saying is use that as the as a as a way to kind of cascade yourself into further positivity. So you want to rest, you well, you want to eat right, and that'll get your brain in a way to where it's positively um, functioning, so you can make better decisions and ultimately feel better. Yeah, and it's not a magic cure. It's not like I'm gonna eat this salad and I'm not gonna have depression. Right, like right. I wish it was that easy, but unfortunately, mm. it is not. But it does have a cumulative effect and I'm proof if you stick to it that it can help. And and that's also in addition to going to therapy, in addition to drinking my water, you know what I'm saying? Like in addition to being active and getting some movement in my body. I'm not in the gym right now because it's COVID, but like I'm going for walks. Right. I'm being doing yoga at home. I'm being as active as I possibly can. And these are all these little baby steps. They cumulatively add up. And they have an impact on your mood and how you feeling. They really do. But you have to also be aware of that as well. Like be aware of, of how you're feeling. Like to me, I think that would be like the first step, right? Just to be aware that you're not eating right. And then to be aware that you're not feeling well. And then the kind of, um, once you're aware of it, then you can make the necessary adjustments. Yeah, I think like a lot of people... So there's this practice called mindfulness. It's very much about being in the now, being present, being checked mm. in, tuned in. And a lot of people, we are mindless. We eat mindlessly. We don't really pay attention to how we feel until we're really sick. Like we don't check in with ourselves. And for me, having a serious mental illness and not being on meds, 
mindfulness ain't a, it, it's not a, a choice for me. It's what I have to do. Like I have to, or wow. I need to be on my meds because like, I'm going to tell you, managing anxiety without meds. Woo. Woo. I don't, I don't judge people for being on meds who have psychiatric issues by all means. If you can handle your meds and you found ones that work for you and they don't got crazy side effects, you better stay on your meds. Like the only reason that I got off of mine is because they weren't, I didn't like how they made me feel. I couldn't find any that were um, giving, like they, they didn't make me feel sick because I've never even smoked weed or drank liquor before in my life. Like, so pills, mm. stuff like that has a really strong impact on me. And I wasn't, I got, I took it until I got to a point where I felt like I could handle it by myself. And there are days when it's still very challenging to navigate my anxiety and how it comes up because it comes out of nowhere. But through mindfulness, through having a healing diet, I'm able to get that control back and not spiral and be all right. Yeah. Um, one one thing that you that you mentioned was uh, one um, COVID uh, that uh, you know your play um, during the play that you're putting together COVID happened and you know we really had to adjust. But um, I just want to kind of talk about uh, like mental health from uh, a COVID nineteen perspective, where everyone's in the house um, and stuck at home, and, and they say you know suicidal uh, rates are going up. And people are more depressed, uh, more alone. Um, uh, I guess in terms of how are you navigating through, through this experience uh, for 2020? Or how did you navigate through this experience? I handled it exceptionally well. A lot of my friends who have serious mental health issues are doing pretty well during COVID, actually. Because we catastrophize anyway. We prepare for the worst anyway. So, you know, we isolate anyway. So for me... This feels very natural to be home, to not be expected to go to parties, to have people understand if I don't want to come out to uh, entertain myself like this doesn't. I feel very fortunate because I'm not as negatively impacted as some people. And then I'm doing a play. I'm, I'm working on a film. You know, I'm doing my film right now. And I'm fortunate to be doing that when there are so many creatives right now. They don't have any projects they're working on because they, they don't have that going. So I just spent a lot of time being in gratitude for what I have because there are so many mm. people that don't have it. Is it safe to say that you had to kind of find what it is that you were showing the feelings of gratitude for or was it naturally? Because I feel like when, you, when you've done the work, when you've done the work, when you're um, mindful and you're self-aware, you kind of need to search for uh, positivity in the world um to help you kind of guide your way along like or was that something that you just kind of just did naturally just because you were you know in that space or was it a conscious effort um i don't really i'm a i'm i'm a realist like i'm an idealistic realist so i wasn't really able to create like like Opportunities to experience gratitude are something that I wasn't open to when I was very depressed. Because when you're depressed, you're mm. very selfish. Like, like you, it's a right. selfish state to be in because you can't really see a world outside of your pain. It's like you're in survival mode. And if mm. you're in survival mode, you're not necessarily thinking about the wonderful things in your life that you should be grateful for. Like, no human, right. no human, when they're in survival mode, 
it's sitting up thinking about what they're grateful for. They trying, we're trying to survive. Like we are creatures that are put on this earth to survive. And so it took a long mm-hmm. time for me to understand the role that I play in my own happiness, which is my happiness is my responsibility. And I say that all the time. Nobody else, wow. nowhere, no person is responsible for my happiness. They can participate if they want to. They can join in. But like my happiness is a recipe that I'm cooking up and don't nobody else put no ingredients in the pot that I don't want there. And it's nobody else's mm-hmm. responsibility to feed me. It's my job to feed myself. And when I came to that understanding, when I got there, mm-hmm. it made the idea of gratitude. It made the idea of abundance. It made the idea of me being able to create within my own reality more real because I could look around and see the power that I had over my own life. I, I guess just take me through like that moment where you're like, I'm responsible for my own happiness. Like, is that where you saw a difference in your life once you came to that realization? Is that, yeah. is that where the last two and a half years you just skyrocketed and built, you know, all these wonderful things, creations? Yes. The, I would say the realization of my uh, responsibility to my own happiness has happened this year in 2020 because like my play was selling out at Steppenwolf, selling out my entire run. That didn't happen last year. That happened this year in January. So like when I released my play on January 30th, 2021, that's exactly one year since I released my play at Steppenwolf. So like the power I have over my own life is something that came to me slowly and it came to me after me manifesting within my career and seeing my ability to create for myself. And it was like this thought, like, man, if only I could do this for my personal life. And it's like, wait a minute. Yeah, you can and you do. And no one else does for you. This is your job to do. Like, you know, when you have trauma disorders, there are so many things that you're reliving. There are so many things that don't make sense. There are so many things that you're navigating. And so much so that you have to be present. You have to be tuned in so that you can even know when this stuff is coming up for you because you don't know. And Mm -hmm. it was just through the understanding that I am, I can be as happy as I want at any time. And when I'm depressed, because you know, I have triggers, I have anxiety, I have uh, things that take me back. I get flashbacks. I have PTSD. But the, even in my lowest moments now where I'm triggered or where something hurts me, I'm always consciously aware that this is not my life. This is a moment and it will go. And even once it goes and once these feelings are no longer in my body and these chemicals in my brain are telling me that things are bad when in actuality, they're not so bad at all. Or even when things are extremely bad and I don't necessarily know what to do and I don't have all the answers, I'm very clear that I have the power to have a life worth living, to figure out the solutions to things I need. And whether or not anybody else is there for me, I'm here for me and I am more than enough for me. And that's something you got to come to. Life don't hand you that. Life hands you lack. Life hands you not enoughness. Life hands you comparison and insecurity. It's your responsibility to give yourself the alternative. Agreed. I'm listening to you speak and I, and I, and I think of uh, the quote, like know thyself and, you know, part of knowing yourself means to, to know what your triggers are 
and to know what your triggers are, you you should automatically realize what you need to do to get yourself out of that state that the trigger is going to put you in. Um, so just hearing you speak, I, I just I just think of the work that I've been doing on myself, personally speaking, and then to really just to know what my triggers are and what my default mode is and really to try to, to try to stay away from that default mode and be, be mindful and be aware. I mean, it does take practice. Um, but as you, as you continuously do it, you know, it does become easier. So that just really just prompted me to really think about what I'm doing in my own life. So I appreciate that. Yeah, no worries. We all figuring it out. Like that's the thing. Like for some reason, like we thought as kids that we would be adults and know what we was doing. Don't nobody know what they're doing. We are all yeah, figuring yeah. it out as we go along. Like, you know, that's why it's so silly to compare yourself to other people. Like, don't ever mm. do that. Like, what silliness is that? Like, these people that you see, they just figured out the right formula that works for them. And you need to figure mm. out the right formula that works for you. And we all Absolutely. can do that for ourselves. Like, it's like, I don't know. Society don't reinforce this need for us to grow. And for us to take accountability for ourselves and be responsible for ourselves and live a better life. Society don't care if you better. Society wants you to go to work and pay your bills and contribute to the capitalistic system. And, you know, that's fine. If that's what you're into. Some people can be into that and find genuine joy in it. Ain't nothing wrong with it. All I'm saying is, like, we aren't obligated. We ain't stuck to feel sad, to feel bad about ourselves. We don't have to. There are things that can be done. And that's why with people who have mental health issues, I feel so much compassion because not only do we have all the crap that society heaps on everybody with these expectations and what we supposed to do, what we supposed to be. We also have mental health stigma that we internalize. Like I recently did a TED talk and my TED, my TEDx talk and my for Princeton women. And, um, you know, what my talk was about how we internalize stigma. And how we need to just we have to lift that up that it, this ain't it. Like you can't be internalizing stigma that's so outside. It's so it's, it has you not be inwardly focused in a way that's healthy. And I just I want to see a paradigm shift. So I try to be the example of what that paradigm shift looks like. I try. Yeah. So 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 one thing that 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 uh, that uh, in your website and and multiple publications you, you define yourself as an alternative uh, a black woman, uh, and there's such a huge stigma uh, mental illness in the black community. So why do you why do you think that is, and like how can we change that? I mean, as black people, when do we actually ever get to be soft? Like we don't really just get to be soft. We don't really get to be weak. Little boys get told, don't cry, be a man. Girls get told, if a boy hurts your feelings, break your heart, you should have been smart. Like, life is full of challenges for Black people. And to not acknowledge them and to not rise to the occasion is dangerous because there's no necessarily, not a safety net, right? Like, a lot of times with Black people, especially Black women, when we're depressed, when we're anxious, when we're feeling not good enough, when we're manic, we just feel like we're failing. We don't look at it like, I'm going through something, let me practice some self-compassion. I never heard the word self-compassion until I was already suicidal. We don't soften. It's easier to do it for our children than it is for ourselves, for a lot of us. And if we can't even have compassion for ourselves, um, it, it, that's probably why it's 
hard to have it for other people. I grew up seeing my family treat my aunt who had mental health issues like she was a child. And so you internalize that. You start to think that having mental health issues is bad because people won't respect you and it's dangerous. And we all know how it is if you grew up anywhere near the hood. If somebody comes for you, you got to clap back because if you let them continue to come for you, you know what's going to happen. Now now it's a threat. Now you're not safe. So you can't look weak because to be weak means you might not survive. And for black people in this country, we've been in survival mode for a very long time. We're still learning what it means and what it looks like to thrive. And I think that healing our traumas, identifying our toxic patterns, having practicing self-care, having compassion for others and for ourselves, I think this is how we survive and thrive. I think this is how. No, absolutely. I, I agree. Um, knowing yourself, um, to be able to articulate and identify your emotions, um, those are all things that we weren't necessarily taught, um, but we do know better now. A lot of us, a lot of us do know better now. And I do think it's part of our responsibility to kind of share that information with people that won't typically hear this message. Um, the fact that you said that, you know, you, you, you just have to be aware of your emotions and, and be mindful, like to practice that, practice that meditation to, to kind of get your clear focus. Like those are things that we need to kind of be telling our people and, and really redefining a black experience. So again, I, I really appreciate that. Um, so when, when we, when we look at your, your play, like, is this, the type of stuff that we'll, we'll get from your play, like just really just uh, knowing thyself and kind of going through that journey of what it is to, to be a, a human. My documentary is more about this line of subject matter. So my documentary is called Happy Songs About gotcha. Unhappy Things. And that's going to be the project after my play. In my play, I discuss how I got here. Like I discuss <sighs> the things that happened and the challenges I had to face to get here to a place where I can accept the parts of me that are broken and see the completeness in it and see the goodness in it and see my, that I deserve to be loved, that I am good enough, that I am here for me, that I am enough. Like I went through some stuff and the play shows it because my whole objective with this play is to, be an example like of what it looks like to talk about your shit. Like if I can get up in front of a camera or on stages and talk about these things, then maybe people in the privacy of their home can get the inspiration to talk to somebody close to them about things that they're going through. Have you heard any stories, the people that have looked, that looked at your play and, and, and know your story? Um, can you tell us about anybody that you've that you know of that has been personally impacted by your story and kind of just changed their life afterwards? You know, it's because of other people that I realized that my play was impactful. I hear from people all the time. You know, one person mm -hmm. was able to open up to her husband about things, abuse she went through as a child. And now they're not wow. getting divorced and they were able to work it out. And now they're doing really well. Um, and then there are people that actually started going to therapy after coming mm -hmm. to my play because they felt that, 
you know, it would be something that was good for them. But the best example I have is my sister, because before seeing my play, my sister didn't understand a lot of things about me. She didn't understand a lot of things about mental health. And since she saw my play, she's changed. She's different. She's intentional about how she navigates things with people with mental health issues, how she navigates things with me, how, how, um, how things that she might say and do can impact other people's feelings. And that's my big sister. So to Mm. me, that is probably the biggest thing that I could have gotten from it. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, you know, uh, sometimes, you know, you get your biggest support uh, from, you know, people that don't know you. And over time, you know, your family, you know, comes up, comes together through mm-hmm. your, your wins. So I definitely understand that. Uh, yeah. So as far as your play, you know, uh, definitely you want to be the representation for people to be open to communicate their own adversities that they're going through. Um, is, is there any other messages that people take w- take away from it? My whole thing, like, it's just people, I, I, I tell people all the time, I don't like being called a role model because I'm not one. Nobody should do some of the stuff I do. Like, I'm not nice. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm, I cuss and, you know, like, I, I have my things, I have my contradictions and I own them in their mind and I don't care how people feel about it. I'm not a role model. I'm a possibility model. And I think possibility models are important because representation is important. And I think that if people can watch it and see themselves in it and see possibilities for themselves, then I've done something. I've done a thing. I've done a big thing. And so, you know, I think that like what I've been told, because I don't look at my play the way other people do. So like what I've been told is that I talk about so many things that people have been through, but they haven't necessarily seen other people talk about. And through me sharing, people see, I mean, like we all just human, ain't none of us unique. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like we're all unique in our own ways, but we, we all human, we all on the same level. And when you see other people talk about things you go through, maybe they articulate things in a way you hadn't thought about, but you definitely felt. So a lot of things that I'm saying in this play is I'm telling you stuff you already know. Like, except you just probably never really thought to put the words together. Words is my gift. You know what I'm saying? Words and art are my gift. So me being able to put it into words is my gift to other people. It's what I'm here for. It's what gets me out the bed. And people are able to address stuff that they might have went through by seeing somebody else navigate it themselves. And that to me is the greatest benefit, the biggest, most important part of what I'm doing. Absolutely. No, that's, that's awesome. I mean, that's, that's really what we kind of want to do with 32 Life Podcast. I mean, our goal is to, to really redefine the black experience, to really take those, those, those stereotypes that were um, given us, you know, forcefully and unwillingly given us and we kind of want to just redefine those and so you're you're doing the same thing with your play and um it's awesome it's awesome i i haven't looked at the entire entirety but from what i from what i did learn about it i mean it's definitely a powerful uh powerful play um definitely beneficial to a lot of people and i'm really looking forward to the rest of the project that you have coming out 
it's going to be great. Thank you so much. It's definitely the biggest undertaking I have ever done. I don't know what I was thinking, but <laughs> <laughs> but now that I'm doing it and it's turning out, is is really awesome. I will be so happy when it's done, and I no longer have to work on it, and I can just enjoy that it exists. You know what I'm saying? Right, right, right. I mean, as a creative uh, ourselves, like as creatives ourselves, like we definitely understand uh, this. Just the create something and it's, it's your it's your baby kind of and you and you want people to to look at your baby and and really just appreciate the hard work and effort that you put into it um so definitely we understand that and really just uh the best of luck with it uh it's to me to me it's it's a it's a great feat to even have the the tenacity and the drive to complete a project such as this and to complete your projects. I mean, you've, you've done it. Um, so congratulations to, to that. And it's congratulations to just really your continued success. Uh, thank you so much. And thank y'all for having me on to talk about it. Like I love doing podcasts. It's better than, you know, like the traditional, just like, I mean, I, I've done some cool interviews too, where you like talk to a reporter and they write about you. I've done some cool ones recently. I like podcasts though, because yeah. like people get to hear your tone and you get to have like real conversations and people get to kind of like know you and not like just a person that they read in like on a piece of paper, you know? Yeah. You get the control of your narrative. Yeah. 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 Well, on a screen, not a piece of paper because none of us are reading stuff on paper these days. So like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and 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 we we talked all, all before we recorded, um, and and you know you, I mean, you mentioned that you you know edited your your own play, and you know that you uh, created your own website, which is nickylanette.com, by the way. It's a, a great website, you know, and for you to be you know a creative that's you know doing you know not just all the you know the flashy stuff, but the behind the stuff, the scene stuff as well, uh, is really admirable. Right, that you're, you know, caring from, you know, the small things to the big things, and you're a part of that that journey and that process is really something that you know is admirable, right? Because you should know, you know, the the inner lockings of, you know, anything that you're putting together, so that you know you are responsible for. It. And I think I, I I see that now, understanding why, you know, you you did the editing or you created the website. It's just you know you're you're controlling, you know, your your destiny and the things that you're out, outputting into the world. Yeah. And I definitely have a team of people that I'm collaborating with. Like my director, Roger, is such a big part of how we approached my play. And, you know, there are people that did stuff for lighting and, you know, like there are different people that play different roles. It's just when it comes to like the creative direction, the creative narrative of my stuff. I have a super clear way that I want to have it done. Like my brain, I see it in my brain. And if I can see it in my brain, then I can do it. Um, I was telling you earlier, like I'm a nerd, nerd. Like people don't know because they like I pass as being cool, but I'm not. I have high spatial intelligence. Mm. So I'm like, I can, uh, when you have high spatial intelligence, you can literally make or create, recreate anything that you see. You know what I'm saying? So if I, I'm a nerd, man, like I can, like if I look at it and I can see it and how I want it to be, then I can create it. So like I have a long, li- like I'm a, um, a multi-hyphenate autodidact. So I rap, sing, write, produce, draw, paint, sculpt, do Indian sea beat looming. I design clothes. I design, uh, do graphic design. I can build websites. I edit. I playwright. I can act like, it's like I do stuff. If I can see the creative science of it, then I can do it. Mm-hmm. 
So I have a, that's why I do so many things, not necessarily because other people can't do it for me or even do it better, but just specifically, sometimes it's just easier to do it yourself if you're real specific. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. yeah. No, you're creative. I mean, it's definitely, like, definitely when, when you're, when you're a creative, you want to create and you want to, I hate to say it. Sometimes you want to have that control over, you know, a lot of things. Cause you just, it's your, it's your baby. I mean, that's how I look at it. I, I look at certain things. It's, it's like when I'm, when I'm in creative mode, it's my baby. And, um, I just want it my way. <laughs> it, it's, it sounds selfish and it sounds weird, but it's just like, when you when you're in that creative process, you you know, for me, you want the world to see what's in your, your head and you want to see the world. You get you want you want the world to see your vision. I mean, that's just yeah. that's I, put it. I feel like for me, like I'm so specific that if I'm gonna be that specific, I need to learn how to do it myself. So even if I'm asking mm. people to do it for me, I can understand the limitations and ramifications that they're working with. I can understand what I'm asking of them. Like I don't believe in right. Like I ain't finna just sit up here and be real specific, but not know what I'm asking you to do or the the challenges of it or how long it takes or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I want to understand the terrain we navigate. Like I have two other people that are editing on the um, play as well that are helping me with like some of like the music parts. And now that I'm editing and we all using the same program, I have very different language and different expectations than I had before I had that knowledge. No, it's the definition between a leader and a manager, in my opinion. Like, like leaders, leaders know how to get in there and get their get their hands dirty. It's you funny know, you say that because I believe that leadership is an act of service. Yeah, absolutely, servant leadership. Mm-hmm. That's the best type of leadership. Yeah, that's yeah. how I do it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, it's so important that you put the needs of, you know, the the people who are following you first and help develop them to eventually become leaders as well. So uh, I'm all for serving leadership. Yeah, I feel like people have a real interesting perception of what it means to be a boss. (laughs) It is not what people think. Like being in charge is not glamorous. It's not all it's, it's typically not very fun. It's very customer service oriented. Like you, if you ain't really like, it's, it's not what people like people, people brag about being a boss or want to be a boss. And just from how they talk about it, I can understand whether or not they actually are one. Like when you actually in charge of something, we actually run something and you good at it. Like you actually good at it and you effective. You're gonna, you know, you're, you're going to be letting the people that are working for you and with you lead. You have to, you have to let like any effective mm-hmm. leader is going to be trying to get people to like, I don't like the idea of people working for me. I like the idea of you working with me. We are all grown. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like you mm-hmm. here because you good at something. So like, let's take these things we're both good at and, and work together and create something great. Like this whole boss idea people have is very wrong. It's not how I do it. Mm-hmm. It don't work for me that way. It works for me the way. where people are grown and make their own decisions and I respect them and we, you know what I'm saying? It works for me a very different Yeah, we're a team. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and I see that just in our conversation. Like when I think of like servant leadership, I think of, you know, someone who's self-aware, you know, someone who's humble, somebody who, you know, has integrity and really wants results, right? And you've shown that through learning the inner workings of the things you're trying to accomplish, you know, giving credit throughout this episode to people who have helped you, you know, with your play, 
and uh, the self-awareness, I mean, it speaks for itself in terms of your journey. So uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's great. It's amazing. Yeah. It's a, it's a process. The self-awareness thing ain't always easy or fun. Mm. <laughs> it's not always fun, but you know, like again, like I manage my mental health without meds. So I kind of don't really have a choice. I kind of have to be tuned in. One last thing um, that I had in terms of, you know, for our listeners, I'm just thinking of my list, list our listeners right now, 30 to lifers. And, you know, uh, what are some like actionable stuff for people who are going through like uh, maybe similar experience that you've gone at some point throughout your life or some type of adversity? Like what are some things that they could do um, like practical, whether that's read a book or, you know, do do certain things like what, what do you think are some like actionable steps or, or things that they should read or listen to? One thing I would tell people is to stop the grand gestures. Like stop doing that thing where it's like, I'm going to not do this and I'm going to do that. And it's these big, giant, huge gestures. If you have mental health issues, that is actually a medical issue. So like if you broke your ankle, you ain't finna go run a marathon tomorrow. Like that'll heal it. Mm. I'm going to run a marathon tomorrow. That'll fix my ankle. No, it won't. Since it's going to mess you up like you bad. You know what I'm mm. saying? So I tell people all the time because I'm not a therapist. I'm only a mental health advocate and lived experience speaker for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. But uh, I tell people baby steps, baby steps, baby steps baby steps. How many baby steps can you take this week? So tomorrow, you're depressed, you've been having trouble getting out the bed, why don't you get out the bed and take a shower? The next day, get out the bed, take a shower, go for a long walk. The day after that, get out the bed, take a shower, go for a long walk, cook some food. The day after that, get out the bed, take a long walk, go for it, you know, get uh, take a long walk, take a shower, cook some food, read a book. Like, I know it sounds like, how is this going to help me if I'm depressed? That's stupid. But that's actually self-care. That's actually what yeah. self-care looks like. It looks like taking the baby steps, doing the work. The most you can do at any given time is actually good enough. And, and just that simple effort of those baby steps rewires your brain and, and it helps you create new neural networks that ultimately lead to you feeling better. There's this saying in neuroscience, mm-hmm. um, it was it neurons that fire together, wire together. And if you mm-hmm. program your brain, because we are all just machines made out of meat, we're all computers made out of meat. If you program your brain that I get out of bed, I eat healthy, I am active, I do nice things for myself, I don't look in the mirror and beat myself up. I think I'm beautiful. I believe I'm smart. And you're doing these little baby steps that reinforce that you believe it. It adds up. Your brain counts. Read this book called The Body Keeps the Score. Your body knows. It knows. The same way your body is holding on to trauma, it's also learning Mm. to heal you. And when your body Mm. is experiencing depression, when it is experiencing anxiety, do you understand that this is an act of compassion from your body? Because your body is trying to alert you to the fact that something is wrong, that something needs to be dealt with. Your body is literally pointing to something when you don't feel okay. Let your body be compassionate with you. Let your body care for you. And, ta- and you don't even have to do a lot. You don't even have to do a lot. That is how great and amazing it is to have a body and to be alive. 
because all you got to do is take them little baby steps and your brain will be like, oh, so we on this now? Okay. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be instantaneous because you did not get traumatized instantaneously. Even if something terrible happened to you yesterday and now you are experiencing trauma, that trauma gets ingrained over time. You got to give yourself time to unpack it. It is okay that you might not be okay right now because right now is not the rest of your life. You got a whole life ahead of you. You know what I'm saying? And it can really feel because like, I know how it feels to feel like, oh man, like my life is over and I will never have experiences as positive as the ones I had before when I was skinnier or when I had more money or when I was in a relationship. But like, Your quality never left you. It still lives here. It lives here. You live here. Your body is where you live. That's your crib. You know what I'm saying? So you get to redecorate it or redefine it however you want. That's your property. So them baby steps, it literally the same as just you saying, okay, I'm going to clean up this room today. I'm going to clean up that room tomorrow. And then before you know it, your whole house cleans. You done took one day every day and worked on cleaning the room. You know what I'm saying? Like you get to do that. You get to do that. Those little baby steps, yes, they are enough. They are, according to science, they are. And anybody that disagrees with you, their opinion don't count because they wouldn't disagree if they were actual scientists who knew what they were talking about. So, like, I know all this stuff I'm saying, it sounds like mad oversimplified. It sounds so silly and oversimplified. But prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. Go do baby steps toward your wellness for a whole month. And then come back and tell me you made no progress. I'm just show, prove me wrong. Prove me wrong. That's what I'm saying. And you know, and even I, I, I say just it, it took me two years. It took me two years to get to how I am right now. And and was it worth it? Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I do it all over again in a heartbeat. Yeah. That's dope. Yeah, no, that, that, that's a, a amazing uh, note to end on. Um, really profound. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's step by step, step by step. Um, you know, wake up, maybe wake your bed. I mean, maybe make your bed, you know, maybe brush your teeth, gargle the next day. And, you know, those things compound much like investing over time and you slowly but surely start to see the improvement. So um yeah baby steps i love it i love it uh thanks nikki um so you know i definitely want to wrap this up and um but i want the listeners to to know two things right one where can they uh see the play where can they view the play uh and where can they find you because you know you have a a huge following but i want to make sure our listeners know where they can see the play and they can see more of you so you can see the play, buy tickets, check out the trailer at igetoutalive.com. And um, yeah, all this stuff is on there. And that's actually where we're going to house the play as well. I got a black owned tech company building me my own paywall and my own platform to be able to do it on there. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah, super cool. And then if you ever want to reach out to me, I'm just at Nikki Lynette on all platforms and uh if i see your comment i reply like i'm 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 pretty much not funny acting i mean i do have social anxiety so but like on social media it's easy if i see the 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 message if i see it i reply it's not that deep so if you ever you know have a question or want to reach out or just 
need a positive word, like I'm I'm with the shits. Just reach out. Yes. <laughs> 30 for lifers, reach out. Nikki Lynette. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, really appreciate you having on. Um, one thing, business, right? You have your black business. So it's so important that we support black businesses um and really, you know, redefine what Black Wall Street was um, and continue to build our economic uh, empowerment throughout our community. So definitely support listeners. Definitely uh, check it out. The trailer will hook you in. I love I love the trailer. So look at that on YouTube um, and NikkiLynette.com. Get out alive. Just check it out, guys. Uh, this has been an amazing episode. Nikki, really appreciate, appreciate you for joining. Oh, thank you all for having me. This has been wonderful. Yeah, I feel like I feel like we, you know, just hanging out, you know, on the, on the south of Chicago. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nah, seriously, I, I I enjoyed it. I love the vibe. I love your your message. Uh, I feel like we're 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 soul we're soul friends somewhere in the in the stratosphere. There, uh, we probably met uh-huh. in like you know some astral plane somewhere. So. <laughs> uh-huh. But no, nah, you're pretty pretty cool, and uh, good luck with everything. Definitely. I'll see you. We'll see you at the top. (laughs) Thank absolutely you will. Thank y'all so much. (laughs) Anytime, anytime. And uh, uh, listeners, uh, you know, just uh, just you know, take take the advice of you know, baby steps. I think that's that's huge. Having the conversation of your issues, whether that's you know with someone who you care about or you know uh, a mental health professional, take the steps. um, You know, own your today. So you can have a better tomorrow. So with that, this is the 30 to Life Podcast. It's your boy Mookie. And your favorite color in the world, brown. And make sure you share with a friend the 30 to Life Podcast. Don't be stingy. Give to the needy because the people need to hear the 30 to Life Podcast. We out.